I am truly not a guest. I am family. I'm just a cousin up the way. We have in our family family reunions every summer. We may not know you intimately, but you're cousin. So that's how I feel about all of you. You are cousins. Um, give thanks. The Bible says give thanks in all things. So I want to give some thanks right now. First to my mighty man of God, Pastor Sean Perkins, who without his covering, I wouldn't be able to do this and to walk in what God has called me to walk in. I thank God for my pastor, Brett Fuller, who is, he's a father. He's more than a pastor to me. He is a father and he's trained and discipled and whipped and corrected and everything else. So he is a true father. So I thank him for allowing me this opportunity to come and share with you. And also my awesome friends that are here, Desi and Ann, they travel with me when I go. They pray for me. They encourage me. Um, they do a lot of things. So I thank you for traveling. And Tara Bird over there, this is, you know, we, we let her come here. She's, she really belongs to us, but we're letting you borrow her. Um, but we have been friends forever. But Pastor Gary and Peggy are my brothers and sisters. Um, both he and my husband worked on the same um, police department. That's how we met them. I remember when Christian was born, Elise was born, all of them. So we are family. And what a blessing it is to be here with you. Um, I am just so excited about the word. I don't know about you, but when you get in the word, you get to see who you are. It, it's a mirror to let you know who you are. So you don't walk around with a fake ID, so to speak. Many are walking around with a fake ID. So I love the um, sermon title or the series that your pastor is doing called United We Stand. And you know, he took me back to old school. Um, I'm getting ready to date myself. But um, I don't know how many of you remember good times. Now, kids, you might remember because they're playing that on TV land now. But Good Times was a show when I was growing up, and J.J. had four of his friends. I believe it was Cool and Pablo, and I forget the other guy's name, Ham, I think it was. But they would have this little dance and sing for their group. And they would say, united we stand, divided we fall. We're tighter than pantyhose, two sizes small. Now, you know for women who put pantyhose on, if you're trying to put pantyhose on that are two sizes too small, you know how tight they are. So they would say their names and they say, united until we are dead. How many know that's a declaration that we as saints need to have for the kingdom of God? So as we're continuing this series, I'm going to step in behind Pastor Gary and um, just, I'm so honored to be able to stand and preach where he preaches. That's a mighty man of God. And um, so I'm so grateful that you get the word here. And we are going to stay on that topic, united we stand. When I hear that, it reminds me of a declaration. See, declarations are things you declare, you connect to, and you're committed to. It's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to receive it. So when I hear united we stand, you as a congregation are making a declaration that this is what we're going to do under the kingdom. This is what we are going to do as a people under our Father. And it's so important that we just don't say it, but we're making a declaration. So every time we hear it, it's letting the world know what we're planning to do. We're planning to stay united. And when you have that plan, then you must remember the steps to the plan because I promise you, you have an adversary that's going to try to make you get out of step. So I'm going to go to Exodus 17. That's where our assignment is today. Exodus 17. And as Pastor Gary was sharing his heart about service and being united, 
this scripture and text came on my heart. So I asked him if it was okay to preach this particular text as it fell in my heart. So it's, we're coming from Exodus 17, starting at verse 8, going down to verse 16. And it says, and if you don't mind to stand in honor of our Father's word. Again, Exodus 17, starting at verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us to go out right and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Ur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Ur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this in a book as a memorial to recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and named it, the Lord is my banner. And he said, the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war against Amalek from generations to generation. Father, we thank you for your word that gives us life. Lord, it gives us direction. It gives us your will and your way. Father, we ask that as we listen today, we would have ears to hear and a heart to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we're talking about the series, United We Stand, your pastor talked about Psalms 133. Behold how good it is when brother dwell together in unity. And then he stepped in uh, to 1 Peter 2.19, or excuse me, 2.9. It was talking about the, who we are. We're cho- chosen priesthood, a royal generation. So we need to understand who we are before we get in a fight. Because if you don't understand who you are before you get in a fight, then most likely you'll run at the sight of adversity. So here we have um, the children of Israel going through the wilderness. And to, to, to just catch you up, in Exodus 15, they went through the Red Sea. I'm sure all of you remember that account. Their back was up against the wall. Pharaoh had told them they can go, and then all of a sudden he changed his mind. They're at the Red Sea. Pharaoh's behind them, and Moses is crying out to God. Now, Could you imagine being the children of Israel? Now, there's not 20 or 30 of you. It's a couple million of you. Pharaoh's army is behind you, the Red Sea, and there's no place to go. Have you ever been in a situation where there's no place to go? You were pinned in. No place to go. So, of course, the people are crying out. God cries, or Moses cries out to God. And you know what God says to Moses? What are you calling me for? Now, imagine Moses standing there. The Red Sea on this side, Pharaoh on behind, and you have the Lord Almighty asking you, why are you calling me? Now, we know our father doesn't ask a question just to ask the question because he already knows the answer. What he's trying to do for you is bring you into a revelation of, okay, I must have something I'm not aware of, or God would not be saying to me, why are you calling me? So he says to Moses, lift up your rod and stretch out your hand. How about Moses had the authority, but he forgot about it? 
He forgot what the Lord had given him in that rod, which represented authority. And the moment he obeyed God, we know the story. The sea parted. The children of Israel were able to cross over. The Lord uh, hindered Pharaoh and his army. And then when everybody got on the other side, then the Lord allowed the water to close in and killed all of Pharaoh and his army. And not only did he do that, vanquish the enemy of Israel, he let all the spoils wash up on the beach. So now not only were they delivered, they were delivered and they were rich. They were able to get all the spoils. Somebody say, spoil me, Lord. So they were able to walk away and be ready to do what God has called them to do. Now, we know later on what they did with those spoils. They began to worship the enemy instead of God, but that's another sermon. So here we are at Red Sea in Exodus 15. They're good. They're delivered. They're happy. They're singing this song. Praise you, God. You're exalted. You are God. You are my Lord. You just, just happy song. I mean, we're having a serious praise party, okay? Then we get to there's no food. Do you think they broke out the praise? No. They started to again mumble and complain that now you brought us out here to die. Now these are the same brothers and sisters that saw this miraculous miracle that the sea opened up. God dealt with their enemy and all of a sudden food is hard for God to provide for you. Now before we throw stones, I'm just going to talk about me because I know y'all don't have this problem. But sometimes I forget what God has already done for me. And when I'm looking at the situation, instead of looking back, remembering, and then entering in in praise, my heart starts to mumble and complain about what I have to go through. So what does God do? He could have wiped him out and said, you know what, you're ungrateful, and I'm wiping you out. He doesn't do that. He provides manna for them. Now, you know the word manna means what is it? So literally, they were looking at it, talking about what is it? It's what you asked for. Many times that happens in our life. We're praying to God for things, but we have in our subconscious how it's going to look. So when it arrives on the scene, instead of saying, Lord, thank you for my provision, you're like, what is it? Manna. It's God's provision. So then they get over that hump only to travel again, and there's no water. Now, you would think they would think, okay, Red Sea, manna, how about we just worship and thank God, and he'll provide the water. Oh, no. They mumbled and complained again, and Moses had to go to God and say, okay, God, these people want water. God tells them what to do. Go to the rock, speak to it. The water will come out. Sure enough, 17, that's what happens in Exodus 17, or excuse me, 16. Now we get to Exodus 17. Now, you know, my grandmama used to say, when all else, what else is going to happen? You know, when everything's going calm. Everything's going right. You, don't, you know, if not one thing, it's another. Something comes up in your life and you think you're well, and then all of a sudden, bam. They had delivered from the Red Sea. Now they have food. Now they have water. And now what happens? They got to deal with an enemy. Amalek comes and decides we're going to fight against Israel. Because remember, Israel is going through the wilderness on the way to their promised land. So now they run up against the Emeleks. Well, they were a nomadic tribe that just dwelled in the valley. Matter of fact, the word Emelek means the dwellers of the valley. How many of you have some valley situations? They're hiding out in crevices. And I love the mountaintops, but don't take me to these valleys, Lord. I'm good following you. Take all of me. I worship you. I will follow you, Lord. You're a good, good father until we get to the valley. Lord, now we're going to have to talk. 
And, you know, sometimes the Lord won't say anything. He'll just keep walking, expecting you to follow him. So God doesn't just lead us into the mountaintops. He leads us into the valley. So here we have Amaleks and the army coming up against, or Amalekites coming up against the children of Israel. So this is where we're starting in verse 8. So in the midst of them coming up against it at Rephidim. Now Rephidim means a place of rest or dwelling of, of silence. There's just complete rest. That's when the enemy will hit you, when you're at rest. When you think everything is going well, bills paid, family good, things are going well on my job. You know, we just want to sing the song. Little birds are driving or flying alongside our car, and they're tweeting a song to us. That's how good life is. And then all of a sudden, bam, Amalek, a valley situation. And this is exactly where Israel ends up, in a valley situation. So here we have three points I'm going to make uh, for you today. I'm not going to hold your ear long. We'll be here to about three. Hallelujah. Just wanted to see if you were up. So we're going to talk about the power of the plan, the power of placement, and the power of purpose. The power of a plan, the power of placement, and the power of purpose. So as we're talking about the power of plans, I put power in front of every one of these because I want you to know there's deutimous power that lives in you. It is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The moment you got saved, the Holy Spirit came in, the indwelling, the, resonant, the residence of God is now in you, which means you have the deutimous power of God living in you. Now, some of you are looking at me saying, where is it? I'm trying to live life. I feel like the enemy's beating me up on every side. It is activated through your obedience to Christ. I went to the um, phone store, had to get a new phone. It was like loaded. This phone was absolutely loaded. But nothing could happen with this phone until they activated it. When God moves in and indwells and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit comes alive in you, you have all power to do what God has commanded you to do. Now, the enemy will try to deceive you to make you think you don't, but you do. You have all power in the name of Jesus to do exactly what he's called you to do. So I want you to look at first the plan. What did Moses tell Joshua? He said, choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. So there were three things that God told Moses, or excuse me, Joshua to do. Moses told Joshua to choose men for us. Now this can be difficult because a lot of times we want to choose the people who we feel look good or fit the part. But how many know God chooses people according to their heart? We have to have a kingdom mindset. The last thing is that you want in the midst of a battle is to find out that somebody's really not in this war. That's the worst place to find out that somebody's not with you. And so in the midst of it, Joshua is charged to choose men for us. We see in the scripture, many are called, but few are chosen. What does that mean? I hear a lot of people say, I'm called to the ministry. Well, when I hear that, that means you've been invited to take a whole lot of tests. God is going to test and try you. And you will not be chosen until you pass all of those tests. The past of pride versus humility. Delegated authority. Have you ever seen where you get into church and there's people that come in and they have kind of their own vision? They have the gifting, absolutely. But their character is lacking. That is a hindrance to unity. 
because unity is coming in and seeing the vision that God has given that particular house and then asking God, God, how does my gift promote this vision? And when you do that, then God honors your gift and your, room, your gift makes room for you. You don't have to make room for your gift. And so when we step into it scripturally, we understand that God has a plan for all of us. And so as we get that gift, and the scripture reminds us we're supposed to serve one another with the gift, and the gift is not for us. So if I'm, I'm I was going to say prophesying by a proper lion. If somebody in this congregation wanted to give me a brand new Escalade, and you drop the keys in my hand and say, Pastor Donnell, this is your vehicle from now on. How many of you know the, the, the person I came as coming in my Nissan is the same person that's going to leave in that Escalade? That gift does not change my character. Now, it might promote whatever's in there. So now I might have even a, a little cocky look like, how you like me now? I'm in my Escalade. It will bring out what's already in there. So we have to make sure that as we're living life and as we're coming together as a body, that we understand the plan that God has for the house. Because without even knowing it sometimes, you can be adverse to the unity and the vision of the house because your focus is off. And it doesn't have to be intentional. Sometimes things are just coming because of our immaturity. We don't understand the mode and the operandi of God. So we don't know how he operates, his will and his way. Remember, God said in the word that Israel knew his um, will, but Moses knew his ways. That's wisdom. As they were, uh, you were talking and giving announcements about wisdom. Wisdom is how to do what God wants you to do. His will is what he wants you to do. His way is how he wants you to do it. And many a times when you don't understand God, he'll take you around China on purpose. And we're saying, but pastor, this is an easier way. Look, it's a straight shot from here to there. But God's goal is not just to get you from here to there. His goal is to get out of you what needs to be out and in you what needs to be in you before we get there. That's what the journey is all about. You read in Deuteronomy 8, he told Israel why he took them through the wilderness. He said, I did it to try you, to test you, to see what was in your heart. Would you follow my commands? So after a while, your declaration no longer holds power. It's your demonstration. My grandmother used to say it this way. Don't listen to what people say. Listen to what they do. Because if you listen to what they say and they do something opposite, you're either offended or hurt. But if you listen to what they do, you can position yourself properly, one, to pray for them and protect and guard what God has called you to do. So in this plan, Moses tells Joshua and Joshua obeys. Everybody say delegated authority. I don't see anything where in the text where Joshua said, well, you know, Moses, can we have a sidebar about this? Because I was thinking, if we do this a different way, like if we go up the other way, or perhaps we don't go up today, Moses, let's go up tomorrow. You know, the, the troops are tired, and I just really feel like we don't need to be doing this. You see nothing of that. You see Joshua doing what Moses called him to do, which is called quick obedience. I tell, I tell my children at home, delayed obedience is still disobedience. So we want to hear what the Lord is telling us to do, and we want to do it quickly. So Joshua does exactly what Moses tells him to do. He gets the people that are called to go with him. He goes out to where Moses tells him to go out, and they fight. How I many you know you're going to have to fight in this age? It's contending, as Jude says, for the faith. 
I turned on the show the other day, and, and Pastor Gary will clean this up if I wasn't supposed to say it, so please forgive me. But there's a show now called The Preachers. I didn't even know it was a show coming on. I turned it on, and I said, well, let me see what they're talking about. They have a platform. Let's see how, how much the gospel is going to go forth. And there was a couple on there that mentioned they believe in open marriage. Now, how many you know open marriage is just adultery? Just because you and your spouse have decided in, in unity to disobey God's word doesn't make it unity. Unity is both of you come into agreement with what God said. That's true unity. But they felt since they both agreed to have an open marriage, it was okay. And the world has repackaged sin. So they call it open marriage. The Bible calls it adultery. So anyway, they were sharing about their situation and how they believe open marriage is fine. So one of the pastors responds, I believed in open marriage too. I just didn't tell my wife and that's why I'm divorced. Now, what made him think he could declare that on the platform that God give me, gave him, I still don't know. But I knew God showed it to me so I can start praying. Because if the world doesn't see the right image of Christ and his church, then we're in trouble. Remember when Moses struck the rock and God told him to only speak to it. A lot of times we think God was unfair in that Moses did all of this and he just struck the rock. God, can you just punish him? Give him a time out? but let him get to the promised land. You know what the real issue is? The Lord said to Moses, you have broken faith with me in front of the people. That was the real issue. You created an image that I didn't give you, Moses. I didn't say that he would be struck like that. That rock represented Christ. Christ was not struck on the cross, remember? Usually they would strike people on the cross so they would die quicker. When they went to strike Christ, he was already gone because he gave up the ghost. So Moses forgot that the things and the instructions of God weren't just for now. They were for later. They were a foreshadowing. So they were telling Israel what was to come. And so Moses striking the rock was telling Israel something coming that was not what God said. So we have to be very careful when we're leading not to break faith in front of the people, not break faith at all. But if you're going to do that, please let it be behind closed doors so you and God can get it right. But when you're leading and you break faith in front of the people, promises can be moved from you. Everybody say, thank God for grace. Because that's exactly where we're living today. Doesn't mean you can go out and do the same thing. It just means that God has covered it. He'll He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But it doesn't mean there won't be consequences to what we're doing. And we don't get to choose the consequences. My son, when he would get in trouble, he would say, well, don't take my Xbox. Just spank me. Guess what I did? I took his Xbox. <laughs> because he was saying what was close to him. Don't touch this. We don't get to tell God what not to touch. Consequences come. And God is the one that determines them. So the power of the plan, Moses had a plan. Now, remember, Moses was ordained in authority. What does that mean? Remember, the people were going back and forth. Moses, you think all that. We hear from God, too. And da, da, da. So God said, all right, tell them. There was 12 tribes. Everybody put 12 branches out in front of everybody. And he said, the one that buds is the one that I say is the leader. And we know Moses rod budded. That's like you taking a branch in the winter off your tree, putting it in your front yard, and flowers start to bloom. How many know that's supernatural? So when you see that, everybody steps away like, oh, okay. 
So it's like that. God has Moses back. God is the one that told Moses to lead. Well, your pastor here, God told him to lead this congregation. Now, all of you may be leaders in this house, absolutely. But you can only allow the one that the rod is budding to lead. And this is where you get unity because you recognize God has called him to lead. Does not mean you don't have the ability nor the skill. Matter of fact, sometimes your skill may be above his, de determining what your background is. But how I many you know God doesn't choose people according to what they have? He chooses them according to their heart and their availability to listen to him and to do what they're called to do. So praise God, Moses gives a di directive and Joshua follows it. Now it's so important to have a plan. God has stationed you in Stafford, and your assignment is this area, this community. So when we don't take a hold of that, when we don't go out, then we're not participating in the unity. When you look at Ephesians 4, it tells you why we have a five-fold ministry. The pastor, the teacher, the prophet. Um, I'm missing two, but I'm going to go on. What they need to do, read it though, Ephesians 4. Don't forget that, 412. <laughs> five-fold ministry. But the reason, the evangelist, thank you, the reason that we're here is to equip you to go do the works of service. Not for you to call your pastor and say, I got a coworker. I think they need to be led to the Lord. Can you call them? No. And I tell people, no, but I can equip you to do it. Because if we leave it just to the five-fold ministry, we're not going to be able to reach the people God has called us to reach. You can reach people I can and vice versa. So what we need to do is get equipped. So when you come here Sunday um, to get this word that God has prepared for you, I call it Sunday dinner. You know, we would go throughout the week, but on Sundays in our house, everybody was at the table. There were no sports practices that day. We'd come home from church, and Mama didn't care what you had planned. At 6 o'clock, you better be at that table because everybody was to come and eat the same thing. That's what happens on Sunday. That word comes, it's nourishment to you, and then you go out. Because that's what Moses told Joshua, go out. So when you leave here, you're supposed to go out. And you fight and contend for the faith. So you're not fighting against flesh and blood. It has nothing to do with people. It's about contending for the faith. It's about getting into people's heart, watering and planting, and letting God give the increase. So whether you're on your job or in your neighborhood, people should know your witness. Even if you didn't open your mouth, they should know there's something different about those people. The way you reach out and love on them, the way you take time to speak to them. You know, the, the world is so cold today, just a smile goes a long way. People look at you crazy when you smile at them. You know, and that, that, that's as little as it takes today to reach out to somebody. And so we must go out in unity advancing the kingdom. We must go out and, and contend for the faith. Fight against those things that dwell in the valley. In the hood, we call it the alley. Don't go in the alley by yourself. So there's people that are called to fight with you. So we need to have that plan. What has God given your pastor? And do you understand it to the full that not only you can go do it, but you can go teach it? When, I, um, when our pastor shares new things with us, I ask a lot of questions. And I don't do it to challenge, I do it because if I don't understand it, my conviction is I have to leave this room like it's my idea because I lead other people. And if I'm just renting this idea, guess what's gonna happen to the others I lead? They're gonna rent the idea. 
I want to know it so much. I want to know my pastor so much in his heart that it's like I came up with the plan. I own it. And that way when I own it, not only am I doing the word, but I have our shepherd's heart. And then I can go share it with the others that I'm leading so that when we go out, we go not just in the power of God, but in the shepherd's heart to preach what he wants us to do and, and advance the kingdom. So there's things that you're going to have to fight against in the valley. Now let's talk about the power of placement. We know um, 1 Corinthians 14, 40 says, um, let all things, everybody say all. Now I love my associate, one of the executive pastors, he said, you know, I looked the word all up in the Greek and the Hebrew, and guess what it means? All. That means nothing left out. <laughs> all. Let all things be done in decency and in order. And that's one thing that we have to allow the world to see because sometimes we, you know, we promote all of the 500 fortune companies that we work for and, and the businesses and then we check our brain at the door and then the pastor needs help building something or leading something and we all shrink back. Look, I work a nine to five, I'm tired. How many know you were made to bring glory to God and his kingdom? So if any place that you sow your gifts, it should be in the house. Because there's people out there that need to hear the word. Look at your world, our world today. They need to hear the word of the Lord. They need to know there's a Savior that loves them. So let all things be done in decency and order. That's why we need the plan. Because if you have no plan, you're planning to fail. And so we need a strategic plan of what God has called us to do. And many a times he'll just tell you the Moses of your house. Could you imagine being the children of Israel wondering and not knowing where you're going and you don't even have the road map. Somebody else does. You know, and when my husband and I are driving long distances, I try to help him drive. He keeps reminding me I don't need your help. <laughs> but I'm like, well, I think we're supposed to turn here. Well, he has the GPS. No, the GPS is quiet, so you won't be quiet, <laughs> basically. But there's things we have good ideas, not that they're bad ideas, they're good ideas, but we're looking for God ideas if we want to be in decency and in order. So here's the placement. Moses said, okay, Joshua, you and the crew, you're going to go down in the valley and you're going to fight Amalek. He said, me, Aaron, and Ur, we're going to go to the top of this mountain. And so we see that starting in verse 10. They started to position themselves. There was placement in the plan. So we are many members of one body. Aren't you glad that your eyes aren't on your feet? Especially as much as I like shoes, that would cause an issue with the shoes I wear. Every member on your body is placed, not accidentally, but on purpose. So I'm so glad our eyes are stationed where they are, our ears are mouth. Everything is stationed in order for what God would need us to do. So you got to remember, you're many members of one body. So we can't have the right leg going to the left and the left leg going to the right. Or we're getting nowhere. So what the enemy does is he understands this and he decides, okay, I'm going to try to get in their ear and have them go a different way. Not be in unity, not understand the vision, not understand the plan, so that we can have them going around the beltway accomplishing nothing. They're extending their energy, they're extending their time and resources, but we're laughing because they're not going anywhere. I mean, that's the plan the enemy has for us. But God has a better plan. He has an abundant plan, and it always promotes his kingdom. So that's why we have to be kingdom-minded. Now, you're probably saying, well, Pastor, what's the difference? I call them church folk and kingdom folk. 
church folk come on Sunday because it's the right thing to do. Or my mama or my daddy drug me to church. Or I, I'm just so convicted that if I don't go, I'm going to feel bad on Monday, so I'm just going to go. And church folk treat church as a reservoir instead of a river. What's the difference? The reservoir, you tap in when you need it. Okay, I'm in the hospital, Pastor. I need you to come pray for me. I have a bill that I need to be paid. Do you have a benevolence fund? These things we tap into. A family member passed away. Pastor, I need you to do the funeral. River people will get in. They'll get into the vision. They'll get into life groups. They'll get into everything your pastor has set up. And that current in the river takes you further than you could go by yourself. It's the supernatural power of God that will take you from A to B to C without your human ability. Reservoir, we kind of stay comfortable and dry. People want the wet without the water. So I'm going to come in and I'm going to tap into this church, but I'm really not going to be committed. I'm not going to be committed to the vision. I'm not going to be committed to the unity, but I'm going to need y'all eventually. So I'm going to date your potential, I call it. I'm going to stay close enough to you so that you're a benefit to me. I mean, that's not kingdom. Kingdom is first getting a relationship with the king because every kingdom has a king. So everything you do should be generated out of your relationship with the king. My two sons, there was a season they would just battle. They'd get up, and I felt like I had to blow the whistle because they would look at each other just waking up. Tell me how you get in an argument, and you just woke up. They shared a room at the time. So I would come down, and I would say, look, if your brother does this, then you come get me, and vice versa. And neither one of them would do it. They would get in their little arguments, and before you know it, you hear this boom and bam. I go down, and one has been thrown up against the wall, and the other one's crying. And both of them would get in trouble. And you know they would inevitably say to me, well, I did it because he did it. How many know that does not fly in the face of authority? So I would tell them, but what did I tell you to do? Because your relationship is to me as well, and I told you to do thus and this. But you decided not to. You took things into your own hands, and you became disobedient. So now both of you are on punishment. What we need to do is remember when God calls us to do something, Whoever is walking with you, your obedience is not dependent on theirs. It's what did God tell you to do? And when you're kingdom-minded, you, you realize that you are many members of one body. So say, I don't feel like com- coming this Sunday to church. Well, the gift that's in me now is not deployed. And now I have to explain to God why I didn't show up for my assignment. Because every Sunday, you know God has an assignment for you. So you have to come ready with a supply mentality. The Bible says every joint supplies. It doesn't say every joint demands. So when you come into a a congregation with a demand mentality, it's difficult because not only are you not getting, you're not giving. There's a a, a hindrance to the flow that's already flowing. God wants to bless you, but you are the one that's hindering it. And without knowing it because you're not you, you're operating in ignorance, so to speak. Then you, you go to God and we're praying, God, what's happening? I'm praying, I'm giving. I'm and God is like, but you don't have the heart of the kingdom. You know, you can pray, but pray amiss, the scripture says. Amiss means it's not the purposes of God, it's your plan. So what we want to do is come into the placement of where God has called us individually. I cannot wear my ring on my eye. Most of you would think I was crazy if I did that. But a lot of times that we, that's what we come in and do in the church. 
we try to put things on that we're not supposed to put on. And then we're walking around, can't see, because I'm trying to hold my ring up here. And you all are looking at me like she has issues. Well, we need to make sure that's not how we look in the spirit realm. That we're holding and wearing what God has called us to hold and wear. Your pastor talked about a symphonic band. And um, my son was in a band also on a drum line. And sure enough, when they'd come, they would all, it, it would sound like a mess. Because all of them were just warming up to their sheet music. It wasn't, they had no mindset of the corporate band or orchestra. It was just their section. But they were all warming up at the same time. So if you've ever heard that, you're like, okay, Lord, I can't wait till this little warm-up is over, especially high school children, because you're just, just so appreciative of their effort. <laughs> but you're like, okay, this needs to end. But when the conductor gets up there and taps his prongs on the podium, everybody adjusts, and they're ready to play in unity. So each one of you have a gift coming in. You might usher, you might sing, you might be on the soundboard, you may preach. All of us have different sounds, but when we come together, it should make the sound of the kingdom. And so if you're missing, my son missed a couple of um, games and then some other um, drummers missed. And it's interesting. I could always tell when one of the drummers were missing. It just didn't sound right. It didn't have the fullness or the skill level of when everybody was there. So they played the music, yes, but it was not to the fullness or the excellence it could have been because somebody was missing. Many times the enemy will tell you, oh, there are other five. There's five other drummers. You don't need to show up. But you can tell. You ever cook something and know something's missing? And that frustrates me because my mother was one of those cooks that she wouldn't measure anything. And she lived in Pennsylvania, so I have to call and say, something's missing. How much did you put in the flour? I don't know, girl. I just put, just put a handful in there. And it would frustrate me because I'm like, Mama, it doesn't taste like yours. So I'd have to keep playing with seasonings until I got it right. That's another good picture of what it looks like. All of you are spices in God's rack. If you decide not to show up, we can, church was great, but something was missing. Don't let that something be you missing. Let God use what he's placed in you, that gift that's not even for you again, it's for the kingdom. So the power of placement, make sure you're in the proper place. If you don't know where that placement is, ask God. Now let's move on to the power of purpose. So there was a purpose that were fighting Amalek because Amalek wanted to take the riches that they had and, of course, hinder them from going into the promised land. How I many you know you have an enemy that does not want you to go into your promised land? of what God has promised you. So we have the power of purpose. Each one of us were created for a purpose. And we need to understand that. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish what which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So God is saying, my word is so powerful that when it goes out, it never misses its target. It never returns void. So if you want something to be accomplished under the kingdom, just speak God's word to it. Because the word takes over. As I mentioned earlier, my husband um, is in law enforcement along with Pastor Gary. And what was so interesting is um, I didn't like guns at all. I was afraid of them. And my husband knew that. So one day he says, I'm going to take you to the range. I'm like, no, that's okay. 
He said, no, your, your issue is fear. So I'm going to take you to the range, and I'm going to show you how to use this weapon. And you need to know since you're in the, in the house with us. So we went to the range, and he was teaching me about um, precision and how to hit the target. You don't look at the target. You look at the sights on the gun. And anytime you take your eyes off the sights and look at the target, you're going to miss the target. Now, naturally, you would think just look at the target and aim. But that's not the case. You have to look at the sights on your gun. I call them the trinity because I have three sights. You line them up where they're even and in unified, and then you shoot. And as he was teaching me this, I looked at him and said, now that will preach. Because a lot of times we have our eyes on the target instead of the right sights. If we keep our eyes on the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we'll never miss our target because God said his word goes forth and accomplishes his purposes. It's when we decide to hit the target in our own effort that we miss. So we need to understand that the power of purpose is that we do the will of God. That's the target. It's not so that I preach better. It's not so that I can get my church. It's not that I can get my ministry. It's about did we do the will of God or not? That has to be our target. And when we do that, the purpose and unity of keeping our sights right, keeping our focus on our Father, it helps us hit the target every time. So in the midst of understanding about God's word and how loaded it is, how purposeful it is, it brings us to how we need to use our gifts. Again, I mentioned in 1 Peter, matter of fact, I'm going to read that for you in case you don't believe me. 1 Peter 4.10, and each has received a gift. Say, each of us has received a gift. Now, many times we forget that. And so we come in Sunday and we're thinking, okay, I hope the pastor's on. I hope this is a message. Because we live in an entertainment society. We want to be entertained. And in our society, if we're not careful, we bring that into the church and be like, now, what you got for me, pastor? I want to hear what you have. And in actuality, this is an equipping moment. Because the pastor is to equip you to go what? Out. And when you go out, you're supposed to be able to advance the kingdom within the vision of this house. So as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Now what the enemy will do, because he can't create, he perverts what's created, he wants you to allow your gift to serve you. And many a times I'm sitting around watching these award shows with my sons, and you hear these rappers, and, you know, they've, they've sung about everything from A to Z, under the sun, no light is on it. But they get up and they get the reward, and they say, I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I always tell my children I have an issue with that. Because they're deceived to think that you can receive him as Savior, but not Lord. He's Savior and Lord, not Savior or Lord. So we can't be in this cafeteria Christianity like the world is to go through the line and just choose and pick what we want. The scripture says we are in the household of faith. And in my household, when I was growing up, my mom would give us a balanced meal on that plate. And of course, it always had the green things called vegetables, which I hated. You know what she would tell us? If you don't eat it for dinner, you will have it for breakfast. And I knew she meant it. Now these little kids get to choose. My grandson will say, well, I don't want that. And his mom will say, well, what do you want? I said, the devil is a lie. You're going to sit right at this table, and you're going to eat what we just put on your plate. Because you don't live in a cafeteria here. This is a household, and this is what we're eating. So we need to bring people into the mindset. What am I doing? I'm helping him with the kingdom mindset. Don't you get this little cafeteria Christianity mindset, or you're going to be very disappointed when you grow up. 
So you can't pick and choose what you want out of the word. You got to take the fullness so that you become into the fullness of Christ. And so in the midst of it, we serve one another with our gift as good stewards of God's varied grace. What does it mean to be a good steward? It means I come in Sunday no matter how I'm feeling because I'm a pastor and sometimes I get up on Sunday and don't want to go to church. So let me help you. We understand. But we do not walk by the flesh. We walk by the spirit. So I command my flesh to get up out that bed. I command my flesh to pray. I command my flesh to get ready. And I command my flesh you're going to church. Because I have a gift that I have to steward over. And the Lord said to be a good steward over it. I mean, if that means you can be a good steward, that means you can be a bad steward as well. So each one of you have a gift in you. The question is, how are you stewarding it? And so when you come to church and you deploy your gift, that's a good steward. You're understanding the gift is not for me. It's to serve others. But what the enemy will try to do is deceive you to think, we don't need your gift today. You don't know what assignment that you've had. Have you ever gone to church and all of a sudden you ran into somebody, had a great conversation? They were ministered to. You didn't even plan that. I mean, God had already planned that. Your steps are ordered. So don't miss the assignments. And I know this church doesn't because y'all are a mighty congregation. So I'm just encouraging you in what you're already doing. Steward over that gift well. And then we are our Father's glory on display. How are you representing Christ on your job, in your neighborhood? Because that's what we're called to be, image bearers. So we have to come into the unity of not only are we doing, we're being. We're being what Christ called us to be, unified and serving one another. If we're not serving, then we want to be served. And that's not kingdom. Kingdom is I'm coming in. God, here are my gifts. What do you need me to do? What have you called us as a congregation to do? And how do my gifts deploy in this house to make that happen? Again, you must be kingdom minded. So you know why you're created to bring him glory. You were created for him. Everybody say for him. So when you understand you created for him, then you have to go to him to see what he would have you to do. We don't get to decide what we want to do. God has already programmed it in us. This is what you're going to do. And many a times you don't even see it. It's by faith. I was in um, law enforcement with my husband. I worked in the communication section. And because you deal with that a lot, you you uh, rub arms with a lot of attorneys and judges, and I decided I wanted to be a prosecuting attorney. So I talked to my husband. We decided this is what we're going to do. Uh, one of the, at the time, the, one of the lead prosecuting attorneys was a, an African-American female. She was excited to hear that I was interested in that prof- profession because there's not a lot of uh, minorities in that, in the prosecuting attorney field. So she decided, you know, I want to talk to your wife. She told my husband, tell her set up an appointment with me set up an appointment with her, talked to her about two hours. She said, I'm going to help you with everything you need. It looked like doors were just flying open. I'm like, God, you are so good. This is awesome. You know, I'm getting ready to step into this field. And all of a sudden, I get pregnant. And I went to the Lord. I said, okay, Lord, this, this was not part of the plan. How am I going to go to school and have a baby? And what the Lord revealed to my husband and I is we, we had these great plans. We just didn't run it by him. And many a times we do that not because we're just trying to be disobedient and prideful. It's we don't know any better. So in the midst of doing all of that, I extended energy and time and resources, and I was extending them in the wrong place. So the Lord spoke to me, and he spoke to my husband and said, you're going into full-time ministry. I didn't want to go into full-time ministry. 
I said, well, Lord, you know what? I just believe the, the, the field I'm going through or in would be a great missions field. My husband's going to lock them up, and then I'll put them away. We got this plan on lock, God. <laughs> this plan is on lock. Do you see it, Lord? <laughs> and he began to speak to me and tell me, you're a spiritual Deborah. You're going to be in a courtroom. It's just going to look very different. And that's exactly what he's done. Now I can't imagine doing anything else. So when you get into the purpose of God and the unity of what he wants you to do, then you're a blessing to all you're around because you're operating in the gift and the placement that God has for you and the purpose. And that's what we desire, to be God's glory on display. You don't want people to walk away from you and say, you know, that fruit looked good, but when you bite into it, don't, it's, it's no good. Have you ever bitten into a fruit? looks real good on the table. And then you bite into it and it's not ripe yet. It hasn't come to what the full maturity of. Well, when people take a taste of our life, our prayer is that they will see a ripe fruit. People that have come to the fullness and the character of God. So what have I said today? It's important to be in unity. There's a faith that we have to contend for. And not only contend with the world, we're going to have to contend with some of the church. Isn't that who Jesus fought? The world didn't crucify Christ. Who did? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders. So don't think in this day you're not going to have to fight against the spirit of religion. You have to contend for the faith. But you contend the right way knowing you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's spiritual. So what you have to do as you contend for the faith is remember the power and the plan. God gives your leader the plan. You come alongside him with your giftings and you accomplish that. You go out where he tells you to go out and you fight where you need to fight. The power of placement. He'll tell you, you need to be in the valley or you need to be on the mountaintop. Now Aaron and Ur were charged to lift Moses' arms up when he got tired because when his arms fell, it says Joshua would lose. Doesn't it seem like a small thing just to come and just lift your pastor's arms up? And you're only lifting one, so you're standing there thinking, I'm so gifted. Why in the world am I standing here extending my gifted energy to lifting this man's arm? But that's not humility. That's not thinking kingdom. That's all they had to do was lift his arm, one on one side and one on the other. And it says every time his arms went up, they won. So much so that God let them overtake Amalek, and they made an altar. And it said, the Lord is our banner, Jehovah Nisi. He's the banner over us. So I want to encourage you today, as you stand in unity, as you stand together, know there's a power in the plan, there's a power in your placement, be in the right place, and there's power in your purpose. There's a hope and a faith, and not only that, it's a fixed fight, and I'm going to tell you why. Because we're on the Lord's side. And if God is for you, who can be against you? As we pray, I want those that are going to do our altar call to come Father, we thank you.